All right, welcome back to the big program. Just after nine bells here in the capital region, uh, looking for a high about 20 degrees. So hopefully it's a nice day for you to get out and enjoy the weekend. Again, we've got uh, Golden Bears football at Footfield tonight, 7 o'clock taking on the Manitoba Bisons. Uh, the Edmonton Elks take on Calgary Stampeders in the rematch of the uh, Battle of Val. Berta, and that'll be tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Full slate of NFL, but also huge weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays as they are in Kansas City to take on the Royals. Uh, and we welcome in Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic who covers the Blue Jays in Toronto. Caitlin, welcome to Sports 1440. Thanks for coming on this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, I mean, the Blue Jays are in a little bit of an easier part of their schedule. Uh, almost swept the Oakland A's, which a lot of people were hoping they would be. But another big series in Kansas City and a team that they should be able to, well, if they can sweep and continue on, they are still in that wild card spot right now. But how do you see this weekend shaping up in KC against the Royals? Yeah, well, the Blue Jays are actually here in Toronto. Oh, um, pardon me. Sorry. Here. It's okay. Um, they should match up well against um, Kansas City. Obviously, they're a last-place team in the American League Central, which is a bad division in itself. So they're not a good team. They don't have a great pitching staff. Um, you know, the Blue Jays, in theory, should be able to take advantage of that. Uh, I think we've said that before, though. And, you know, sometimes this offense uh, doesn't really make sense in the sense of, like, you know, they're very talented and they're a really good lineup and they have a lot of players that have great track records of success in the major leagues. But we've just seen this offense really not score at the clip that we thought they would be able to score at. So it's been a little bit letter, better of late. Uh, the offense is clicking a little bit more. Um, they're hitting better with runners in scoring position. They're doing some of that. Still, they come up a little short sometimes, a little flat. The last game in uh, you know, Oakland, only scoring one run there, or two runs, I guess, um, but just not making um, you know much a run at getting that sweep. So we'll see if they can do it in Toronto. Maybe it's nice that they're going to be home. Um, they start actually a 10-game homestand, which is a pretty lengthy homestand. Um, and then they're basically really, really in the home stretch here. So this series against Kansas City is going to be important because then Texas Rangers coming after, and that's, a really pivotal series, obviously. Yes, my apologies. In uh, Toronto today for the Royal Series, and um, that is a pivotal series with Texas. Uh, and maybe we will skip ahead to that because, I mean, if that if you can win that series, it could go a long way in deciding the AL wild card positioning. Right now, the Jays seventy seven and sixty three. Texas has been in just a terrible tailspin. Uh, I don't think they've had a starting pitcher win a game for upwards of 20 games. Uh, 76 and 63, they've lost uh, three in a row. They're three and seven. Uh, how Out here, um, Caitlin, as we speak with Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic, it seems Vladimir Guerrero gets mentioned every second sentence out here. Um, if he doesn't turn things up a notch down the stretch, can the Blue Jays really have a great chance to do anything down the stretch here? Yeah, I mean, they've been, they're here anyway uh, without him at his absolute best. I think they're going to get Bo Bichette back fairly soon here too from injury and maybe some more reinforcements. Um, Danny Jansen's probably further away, but maybe you get Matt Chapman back in the next week or so, which would be good as well. You know, I think that you know, the good thing with Vlad, I guess, is that even at the level that he's playing at, which understandably has been dis- disappointing, I think, because we kind of know that feeling that he has when he was playing in 2021 and was basically an MVP cal- uh, caliber player. 
Um, but, you know, his floor is still really, really good in the sense that, like, you know, playing at mm-hmm. this level, he's still above average. He still gets on base. Um, he, you know, he still gets his knocks and stuff. Yeah, he's not hitting for as much power, and, and that's frustrating. I think that you want him to have better pitch selection. You want him to have that plate discipline that was kind of his calling card all the way up. You want him swinging at better pitches. You know, these are all these things that we know he can do, and when he does them, he is that sort of next-level player. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays can still get by if he's just kind of doing what he's doing. Now, do I think that they look as dangerous if he's going off? Like, no, right? Like, I think all season long, essentially the offense has been playing at, like, their floor. So the thing with the Blue Jays, again, is they're very talented, and so their floor is better than most ceilings of teams in the major league because they've got so many talented players. Now, if they can get closer to their ceiling and all the guys in the lineup or most of the guys in the lineup are really clicking and at their sort of full potential, then it looks a lot more dangerous. And so, you know, to answer your question, I think they can still get by if Vlad is just doing what he's been doing. I don't think they look as dangerous. I think if he was to reach another level, all of a sudden you're looking at the Jays and you're thinking this team looks really dangerous because they're pitching really well, they play defense, and they're scoring a lot of runs. If they're not scoring a lot of runs, sure they can get in the postseason. And their pitching staff is really good. Their bullpen's probably the best we've seen in you know a long time. And they've got three, four, five really, but you know definitely four quality starters that you could roll out in a playoff series and you'd be feeling good about that. The offense to me is the biggest question mark because it's like – there's not a lot of scoring in playoff baseball, or typically there's not a lot of scoring in playoff baseball. And like, if the Blue Jays aren't able to capitalize on opportunities, and we've seen them struggle with that all year, I just have concerns about what they'd be able to do in the postseason. Talking all things Blue Jays baseball with Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic. If you've got uh, something you want to discuss with uh, Caitlin, myself, uh, anything regarding baseball in the next little bit, uh, text us at one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. 401 1440 Caitlin, where do you think... Um, the Blue Jays have really shown their depth this year with all the players they brought up from Buffalo. Um, how much has that helped the team to kind of stay in the pennant race uh, in the wild card situation? Yeah, for a lot. I mean, you look at, you know, Davis Schneider who came up in the beginning of August and, you know, really just made that seamless transition to the big leagues. Uh, that series, first series in Boston was incredible. Uh, you know, one of the best, best series ever basically Mm -hmm. from a rookie and yeah he's had some games where he's been off a little bit that's going to happen obviously but I think over the last month and a bit that he's been in the majors he looks like a really solid player I think the power is very real he looks like he just has a really good idea of what he's doing up there at the plate he's not getting out of his own approach he knows what pitches he likes to do damage on he takes a lot of pitches he has a really good um, like approach and plate discipline and all that kind of stuff there. So I've really liked what I've seen from him. I think that, yeah, you've gotten a lot of complimentary um, additions and production from like an Ernie Clement, who's really like kind of the utility guy, that up and down guy, but he really made the most of his opportunity. And then Spencer Horowitz um, had a great season in AAA. He got a cup of coffee earlier in the season in the majors of the Blue Jays now potentially getting a bit of a longer run. So, yeah, like those contributions have been, you know, really big for the Blue Jays. I think that 
they're seeing some better production from some of their main guys, too. Alejandro Kirk's been better, and he has to step up now that Danny Jansen's out. You know, I've liked George Springer of late. I think he looks good back in the leadoff position. So, yeah, you've gotten contributions from some guys. I think that um, the Buffalo gang or whatever you want to call them, they've been – they've really stepped up because I think, you know, with the Blue Jays losing Boba Shett, losing Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen – it didn't look great there, um, and you don't you like you like your chances a lot better with Bo in the lineup. But I think the guys that have come up and stepped up and made the most of other opportunities has really made a difference for the Blue Jays. Our guest is Caitlin McGrath from the Athletic, covering the Toronto Blue Jays. You touched on the pitching staff a little bit, Caitlin. I wanted to kind of focus in on Yusei Kikuchi, uh, how he responded and rebounded from a disappointing year last year. What do you think the difference has been? I mean, the biggest difference is just the command, right? Like last year, just a ton of walks. I think it was probably the season high in, in walk rate. And, you know, he would just get into a ton of trouble. He would walk a few guys in an inning and then he'd give up a hard hit ball. And then all of a sudden you're down 4 nothing or 3 nothing or whatever it is. He would have a lot of trouble early in games. First innings could be a real disaster for him where, again, you would get into trouble. Your pitch count is getting high. You're just not giving your team a chance to win. And it would really just, like, spiral from there. I think the biggest difference has been the command, right? Like, he's commanding. He's uh, controlling his spots a lot more. He's getting pitches in the zone. He's not afraid to attack guys. He's, his stuff has been really good. Obviously, we always knew the fastball was really good. He throws pretty hard, upper 90s from the left side. is you know, hard to see for pitcher or for hitters, and I think the breaking balls have been really key for him. The slider's a really good pitch. Uh, the curveball that he uses is a really good pitch. He's been pairing them well. He's been throwing them. But it all really starts with the command because if you can yeah. command the zone, then you know pitchers have to respect that. They have to understand that you're going to throw pitches in the zone, and that's the difference for me. He's just been a lot more competitive on the mound. I think the pitch clock has helped him, honestly. I think it sped him up in a good way. He's not out there overthinking. He's just throwing his pitches, and if one doesn't go well, throws it away, keeps going. I think that that's been really key for him. And, yeah, it's been a great season. I think you're seeing kind of like the full potential of why the Blue Jays liked him in the first place. And, you know, it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to see him having fun out there, looking confident. Had a really great post-All-Star break, I guess. Uh, end of July and into August was really, really good for him. Struggles a little bit lately, but you know maybe that's just sort of a natural dip that you're going to see basically in any major league season for most for most players, most pitchers. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how he does you know, coming up here. And yeah, but overall, great season for him. And I think it really just comes down to the better command. Yeah, it's a long season for sure. These guys get fatigued down the stretch, and that's why you get the call-ups and you get uh, some replacements and things like that. Um, so Kikuchi starts tonight, correct? Uh, I think it is, yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think he, so. Yeah, I think he I starts tonight. Checked. Yeah, I think he, he gets the ball tonight. Um, but the other two pitchers that I want to talk about, actually, well, Chris Bassett threw a great game the other night. Um, but Kevin Gosman, it seems every time the team is in a bit of a funk and needs a little rebound game, it seems that Gosman always gets the ball. Um, how have you? How impressed have you been with what he's done this year on the mound in Toronto? Yeah, I mean he's been—he was just as impressive last year too. He's been <clears throat> such a key, like stabilizing force, I guess, in the rotation. He's really good. Strikes out a ton of guys. Just really dangerous. Doesn't really get flustered. He's really 
kind of cool, calm, collected, very competitive on the mound, a very sort of low-key off the field. And I think he's just like a really strong, steady leader for the team, especially for the pitching staff, but for the team overall. And yeah, you're right. There's a lot of times where your team, you're going along and it feels like you get your ace on the mound at just the right time when you kind of really need him um, to be there and you really need a good start from someone. So yeah, I think that he's been really impressive this year. Definitely one of the best pitchers in the American League the last two years. You know, the the strikeout rate is one of the best you'll see. You know, what he contributes in terms of like, you know, wins above replacement and mm-hmm. all these different statistics. It's He's right up there. Don't know that he'll be a Cy Young winner this year. I think Garrett Cole is kind of the favorite for that. And there's, you know, some other guys um, to consider. I do think he'll probably get some votes. I think he deserves some votes. Uh, I think that a strong finish from him, I think, also could go a long way. We talked about Vlad earlier in that regard. But I think, again, like with the pitching staff, they've been overall really, really good this entire season. You mentioned Chris Bassett. He came up big when they really needed to hit him, too, in Oakland and kind of gave them such a lengthy start that rested their bullpen after after they had a, a busy day the day before. And so I think that overall you really like what you got from the pitching staff, but having a couple of good starts from Gosman, Kikuchi, all of them basically down the stretch can go a really, really long way. Caitlin McGrath is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. 1440 Just a couple more for you, Caitlin. What's... Uh... I mean, the new Rogers Center, When you're, with all the new configuration, for those of us that haven't been there this year, what's it like kind of watching a ball game in there? And then they've got some new plans for next year. Can you kind of explain to our listeners uh, the difference in maybe atmosphere watching a game in there compared to years past? Yeah, there's just, um, you know, a lot more kind of social areas, I guess you could put it. There's a couple up in the 500 level. There's a couple kind of patio situations there, which are pretty lively every game. You can kind of hear them, um, especially when it's not sold out. You can kind of hear them more. But uh, then there's different sort of porches and just just different kind of congregation areas where people can watch from. And it does have a different atmosphere. The bullpens are obviously raised up, so fans get a closer glimpse of the relievers warming up, which I think is, you know, a nice thrill for them, I think that yeah, it's it's funny because I think it's the first couple games there it was really noticeable, and then you just sort of get into your routine and you don't notice it as mm-hmm. much more. But it, again, it it is nice. I think fans really enjoy it. I think it's just especially for people who maybe aren't like hardcore baseball fans, but just maybe want to like a night out in the city or something. Like they could go there and walk around, and there's places to stand and places to sort of watch the game, but also hang out with your friends or hang out with people that you go to the game with. And there's other things to do other than just like sitting there watching a baseball game. Obviously the baseball game is going to be going on. And yeah, in terms of more renovation, basically the renovation this past year into the season, were kind of focused on the outfield areas. So um, yeah, like the 500 levels, like I said, uh, the bullpens, which were in the outfield area, uh, and then the, a couple decks in like the 200 section and, you know, how, uh, improving the concourse level as well. And then upcoming, I guess, this off season and into next year, there's going to be renovations of like the lower bowl. So oh, yeah. you'll see like the seats replaced in the lower bowl. They're going to put in sort of these fancy clubs, I guess, um, that are going to be like under the seats. And then you're just going to see, I think, more, again, like those more congregation areas, 
Um, I think there's going to be different sight lines. The, the seats are going to be sort of reconfigured, I think, so that there's better viewpoints. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to probably look pretty different next year when it's all mm-hmm. done, but I think it's going to create that atmosphere where it's going to feel more like a ballpark versus sort of a multi-purpose stadium, which has been their aim. For sure. Um, uh, our producer, uh, the Duke, Brandon Douglas says he could crush about 75 hot dogs on dollar dog night. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure a lot of people are doing that. <laughs> they, they sell a lot. They sure do. I mean, we always see the ticker going up. It's 40000 50000 That's kind of cool watching that. So, uh, Caitlin, uh, thanks very much for doing this. Hope to catch up with you in the future. Enjoy the, the Kansas City series this weekend. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic covering the Blue Jays. Uh, they get ready for three against the Kansas City Royals. The Royals not a very good team. Uh, they've got probably one of the best players in baseball, one of the best young players in baseball in Bobby Witt Jr. He is uh, very dynamic. He is fast. He has power. He's a good fielder, the son of the former L.A., well, I guess Anaheim Angel back in the day, Bobby Witt. So uh, should be a good series. Oh, man, what a weekend in sports. Uh, it's just nonstop. And that's the time of the year for crossover season. So uh, we'll have some uh, open text time when we come back at the top of the hour. Uh, just to finalize this, we'll have uh, G. Roy Simon, uh, Elks assistant GM. And then coming up at 940 will be uh, Ian Herbers, head coach of the Alberta Golden Bears. And then uh, later in the 10 o'clock hour, a neat initiative that's uh, being put forward by uh, Cougar Payton Collision and the Ross Shepard Thunderbird High School football team where they repurpose, refurbish helmets to give to their seniors that are leaving. But we'll have uh, a little bit of an open text line when we come back on the Kevin Carey Show with uh, the Duke Brandon Douglas on Sports 1440. <laughs> oh, yeah, George Michael, uh, just a, a favorite back in the... Oh, that is 80... Seven or 88, I guess, somewhere in there. I, I remember that one. Uh, 13 degrees in Edmonton, 922. Looking for a high of about 21 today. It's a Kevin Carey show on Sports 1440 with the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas, who is putting in some shifts this week. Last night, uh, so, okay, so last, let's just run through the day, Duke. So you get up, uh, what, Five-ish? Yeah, about quarter to five. Uh, <laughs> get up. You know, I some people, this is something that's never been capable for me, but yet at the same time it was when I was at home at the farm. Like, if I'm going to work or to school or whatever, like, I have to have a shower in the okay. morning. Like, some people are okay showering at night um, and then just getting up and going. I, I just can't. But at the farm, showering in the morning is not purposeful to me. So you no. get up, crawl out of bed, walk 100 yards down the hill to the barn and, and start milking cows, shower <laughs> before you go to bed because that's when you're dirty, yes. very dirty, obviously. Uh, but yeah, so get up, shower, hopefully have a spot of breakfast, a uh, cup of coffee for the drive over here from Fort Saskatchewan. And then in the last couple of days, I haven't really been, uh, or every day this week, haven't been rolling out of the studios here at uh, in Westhead till about 4.35 o'clock. <laughs> Or so, and and then last night, yeah, jetted straight down to the Ellerslie Brew House to uh, to host Thursday night football. Uh, that awesome partnership we have with with them at the Brew House this season. So that was cool last night. That's the first one of the year, and you must have had a, a a blast. I mean, so many people are into so much fantasy, and then you know, in game betting and everything is big in the NFL in that sense. So the excitement must have been uh, pretty pretty neat last night. Yeah, all that. I mean, like I said earlier in the show, it was it was packed in there. The people coming in, wandering around, hoping for somebody to vacate so they could get a seat. Like it was it was a full house at the at the brew house last night. And and you know what? There football just like 
myself, my favorite team, the Texans, is terrible. Oh. So, so you know, your fantasy team is all of a sudden what you're rooting for now, and, and maybe you have a little bit of action on the game if you want to. But last night, there were tons of, uh, of Chiefs fans there. Lots of jerseys, some Mahomes jerseys, um, some Kelsey jerseys, although he wasn't playing on the sidelines looking happy as ever. Um, a couple of those fill-in tight ends actually mm-hmm. had not bad games. Not Mahomes, bad. Mahomes still leaned very heavily on the, the tight end position in the past game. But, yeah, you talked about it with Eddie. You talked about it with Howard, like, the Kadarius Tony um, situation uh, from last night's game. <laughs> Oof, that's uh, that's a, that's a tough way to kick off a season when you're supposed to be uh, the newly crowned number one wide receiver in a, a dynamic offense. If you got a text uh, to chat a little bit about anything with the the Duke or myself, we can talk about uh, cow milking techniques, uh, throwing bales, anything like that. One eight three three four zero one. 1440. I'm sure the Duke has got all those techniques down. I, I threw some bales when I was a young kid. Yeah. Uh, the alfalfa ones aren't, aren't a lot of fun. No, yeah, hay, hay bales are the heavy ones. Yeah. And, and it's it's something that's always bugged me about um, like pop culture when you see in, in movies or TV shows. They, they always just call everything hay bales. Yeah. But then usually in the actual production, they're straw bales. And to a some yeah. doesn't even to be a trained eye. Like usually anybody that's grown up in Alberta is familiar enough, whether you're a farmer or not. The difference between a hay bale and a straw bale, the, the color alone is vastly different. At about forty pounds. Well, that's exactly it, right? I'm sure they use the straw bales for the ease of production purposes, but people don't really know what straw is. Everybody knows what hay is. Yes. He is from the city folk and whatnot. So that that's something that has eaten away at me my almost my entire life of watching movies and television and things. There's not a lot of square baling going on anymore though is there mostly round small bales? square bales yeah. no uh but large square bales yeah. have become actually much more popular due to like they're easier to store and easier mm-hmm. to transport obviously square things stack a lot better than cylindrical things right uh, as as round bales are but yeah small square bales basically like we make up enough to to bed the little hutches that all the, the holstein calves lives in live in all year round um with their mums being in getting milked and then um the small hay bales, we make a few of those or buy a couple of those for the same purposes, but very popular with horse horse folks still are the small small square hay bales because, uh, you know, you only throw out a few flakes to your, your little pet in the yard. Every and night. easier to handle and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, you don't need any equipment to handle them, right? You exactly. just muscle them around. There's an old picture of uh, Bobby Hull bailing in the day and uh, if you have you ever seen that one? Yeah, he's stoking. Like yeah, stoking it up. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's got the pitchfork out. And he looks like he just came back from the Mr. Universe title. I mean. Well, and it's funny you say that because in, in the last couple of weeks, there's been a couple different viral on, on social media pictures. The one being of Tim Horton when he was oh, 16 yeah. years old. Look, just like you said, much like Bobby looking like Mr. Universe, absolutely yoked at 16 years <laughs> old. And then this clip of this poor kid who's at the Regina Pats training camp right now who is, I believe, also 16 years old, but looks like he could be 11 or 12. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's given the, the people who, you know, like to compare generations and stuff a lot of fuel to, to fuel their fire with on that argument. Uh, text coming in to 1-833-401-1440. Uh, this one comes in and... Uh, I don't think there's a name on that one, Kevin. Send no. us your name so we Send can save your Send us your name, your yeah. Uh, didn't get that one. Send us your name. Uh, first of all, how about that uh, Mont St. Brown last night? Send us your name on this one. Uh, exciting season ahead for him. And he also said my grand, my grandma was up till last year, got small square bales for the goats. You, how many head of cattle you guys got? We run about 175 head wow. of uh, commercial beef cattle, and then we milk about 65 to 70 head of dairy. Very small operation mm-hmm. by, by today's standards. Wow. 
Uh, and then, you know, the, the crops we grow are just for feed purposes. We don't grow any cash crops, canola and things like that. Just barley, oats and mix in a few other things that throughout the, we grew some corn last year for the first time in forever. Da- down in my country, Kevin, the hills are so bad. I don't know how anybody ever thought they should be growing row crops there. It should all be cattle country, but you make do and then just driving the silage truck over some of those side hills gets a little, little dicey at times. Hmm. Um, Okay, I've got a, a fantasy question for you because you guys will have the uh, Fantasy Frenzy show coming up uh, at 11 o'clock, yourself and Connor Halley. So uh, in our Doopies draft, Gregor had the first pick and, and uh, Gregor drafted, uh, he had Gibbs playing last night, didn't do very much. Then he had Sky Moore playing last night, didn't do anything. So Gregor's behind the eight ball again in his uh, weekly matchup. But I got a little flack for keeping this guy. Gregor gave me flack, but I kept Jameson Williams as a keeper that I drafted last year. Uh, he's a late, late, late keeper. So I, you know, I was basically, I don't know, 12, 13, 14th round, whatever. So he's done not playing for six games. Can he compliment Amon St. Brown in Detroit uh, when he comes back? This Lions offense was electric last year. The, the defense was where they really fell down and, and outside of Aiden Hutchinson, it, they, they made a bunch of additions, but Hutchinson on that front line is is a, a game record. Mm-hmm. And when we saw pieces of it last night, he would have had a even better maybe statistical game if not for the fact that we we talked about that also with, with both Eddie and, and Howard. The the O-line for the, the Chiefs, they could have been called for, for false starts or uh, illegal formation how many times, and they didn't until the fourth quarter seemingly. Um, but, but yeah, Hutchinson great on the defense, but the offense specifically, to, to go back to your original question, they're spreading that ball around and you said Gibbs maybe didn't really pop off last night I think we saw a lot of what makes him enticing and why the the Lions were keen on drafting him so high as a first round pick running back though it's seemingly more and more rare um, but I think as time progresses he's going to get the ball more and more great pass catcher as a running back Montgomery no slouch as a, a secondary option it's just the the issue with fantasy wise for the Lions is that they might have so many options it's tough to rely on any given one any week, maybe mm-hmm. except Amonre St. Brown because he is, the texter said, exciting year ahead for him. That that puts it pretty lightly. He's gonna he's gonna be terrific. This so year. you like Jamison Williams maybe coming back in the when he, of the year? once he comes back. I think that if you if you're stashing him on a, as a keeper or something, it's definitely worth keeping. Like holding on to if you got the roster space. If you get into injury trouble and stuff, and you gotta do some ads and drops, it's yeah, yeah it, you got to do what you got to do. But I think he will definitely have value once he's back in the lineup. Gregs, I know you're listening. See, I'm transparent. I say I drafted this guy. When you talked to the Levitan the other day, you didn't say you drafted Gibbs. You didn't say you drafted all the others. Oh, and also Isaiah Pacheco on the bench for Gregor last night. 9.4 points. Oh, boy. Uh, text line 1-833-401-1440. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is coming in from Will. Uh the hay straw thing makes me loopy, although does your dad still call you to come run the uh, silaging equipment? I have a full-fledged career, and I'm still going back out to the farm to drive truck every August. That comes from Will. Well, you're, are, are you still going out there, or what do you, I mean, do you have any time left in the day here? The, the last couple weeks, not as much, so obviously with the ramp up to the station, getting stuff ready and coming in the studios, making sure everything's working, getting familiar with uh, with you and all the other people that are working things behind the scenes. Uh, this summer has probably been the least amount that I've been back to actually help out with stuff. 
Um, even going back to when I was uh, going to school mm-hmm. um, and, and working in the city prior to moving back to the farm after I was done that, it, like I was back almost every weekend at, at that point in time. But yeah, I still get the calls. It's just a matter of I have to really guilt, uh, guilt-ridenly <laughs> say, no, I can't come. Uh, Dad texted me yesterday yeah. saying, how's the new job going? And I think I just said, yeah, I've been very busy, but I think he was waiting for me to say, yeah, I got some free time to, to sneak on out. <laughs> I, I hate to, if, if dad's listening right now, I hate to break it to him, but I, this Saturday I'm going to be sleeping in as late as I can uh, yeah. until, uh, and then just regrouping to, to do it all again next week. Cause this, this, you said right off the top of this break, this week's been a whirlwind for me. It has. And it's been a whirlwind for me. And I think for everyone here, but I, you know, we have to give kudos to the, the staff here at Stingray Studios uh, in West Edmonton Mall. Uh, obviously, the Nation Network. Uh, Jason Greger's been working tireless amount of hours, and, and many, many people. I mean, Connor Halley, like you said yourself, uh, Declan. Um, even you know, low tide is. Well, he's been in here for about an hour and a half a day. What is he, is he coming about quarter after twelve? Is that what he comes? I in? I think yeah. he walks in the door yeah. about three minutes before he gets on air. But <laughs> a pro. and then, then he he's snaps, a pro. And snaps his yeah. mic on, and it's if he's been in here hours yeah, he's preparing. A pro. Uh, that's the thing. You, you know, you've been in radio for a hundred years. That's what hap- what happens. So, yeah. So at uh, eleven o'clock after the Kevin Carey show, we'll have a fantasy frenzy with Duke and Connor Halley. Then twelve to two is uh, low tide with Declan, and then two to six uh, Jason Greger with his producer uh, Connor Halley. Text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. That was imitation Tom. He's going to go by imitation Tom, who was talking about his grandma's uh, goats and square bales and and things like that. So, uh, Blue Jays. We were talking with uh, with Caitlin. Uh, the series with Kansas City. Uh, you know the Royals. They have zero pitching. I mean, I don't even the pitching that they've put on the mound this year is awful. I mean they've. Had to throw a guy named Angel Zerpa as a starter every once in a while. That's how bad it is. Zach Grinke probably was a Hall of Famer. I'm, he, I mean, maybe he still is, but the last year, I mean, he's just awful this year. I mean, he's 39 years old. He's at the end of the line. There's nothing left in the tank. Uh, their bullpen is horrible. They traded the closer Barlow. They bring in Hernandez. Uh, he's not that good either. Um they have some young players. Again, we mentioned Bobby Witt, good player for the Royals. Uh, MJ Melendez is a, a guy that caught a lot last year, is mainly playing uh, outfield this year. Sal Perez was one of their top guys that they expected a high production from, has fallen off this year and kind of, again, a lot of miles on on Perez too. So um, anything other than two out of three or three out of three against the Royals is this weekend is uh, it's not acceptable for the Jays. Uh, how do you see kind of this weekend shaping up? I think I'm, I'm pretty sure Kikuchi's going tonight, and I don't know the rest of the rotation moving forward. But uh, they need to get three out of three against the Royals here. Yeah, Kikuchi slated to to start tonight on the bump, and and you talked about it with Caitlin since the All Star break. His last time out, he wasn't quite as good. Um, but since the All Star break, he's been one of, if not the best pitcher in the major league, statistically speaking. Yeah. Uh, and the defense and the pitching of this Blue Jays team has been their strength all year. Just like Caitlin said, the offense is perplexing at, at times. How they're unable to generate runs, um, even if even when they are actually generating some hits, which they've struggled to do in their own right as as well. But three of three is what we said going into Colorado and Oakland, what we yeah. said going into Oakland. And now if you, if you once again, only take two of three against KC, this matchup with Texas at the start of next week is, is pretty much do or die. And, and Texans, uh, the Rangers just got their wheels blown off three straight games by Houston, which is great to see if you're a Blue Jays fan. Right. I'm, I'm sure 
for my speaking for myself and probably for a lot of other Jays fans, when you're keeping tabs on that series this week, it was you just wanted one team or the other to to win all three. You didn't want them splitting games or anything. And and the fact that Texas lost all three combined with they have been kind of on the skids a little bit. Uh, that was great to see. It's hard. They were right neck and neck at the top of the um, league for for a lot of the earlier Texas in this season to the Rangers. And, well, even in run differential, they were killing everyone at yeah. the start of the year. Now uh, their run differential is you know it's okay. It's actually still outstanding. They're I'm just looking right now. One thirty nine. Only Tampa Bay is better at one eighty seven. Baltimore one twelve. Houston one twenty two. So that's how dominating Texas was. But right now, Jays 77 and 63. Uh, Texas a half game back at 76 and 63. So the Rangers do have that game in hand. That's It could come down to that series with the Rangers for sure. So uh, we're going to come back uh, after the break and talk to uh, Alberta Golden Bears uh, hockey head coach, Ian Herbers. That's coming up right after the break on the Kevin Carrier Show on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program, 9 9- 39 in the Capital Region. Uh, happy to bring in our next guest on the Kevin Carey Show, Ian Herbers, head coach of the Alberta Golden Bears hockey team. Herbie, how you doing, big guy? Uh, great, Kevin. Thank you. Um, so you guys are playing tonight in Calgary? Correct. And then home Saturday at 7 at Claire Drake against Calgary. Oh, must be just excited to get things rolling again. Yeah, we started last weekend. We did a home-and-home with Grant McEwen, um, split there. Uh, we've had two week, good weeks of uh, camp and preparation and a lot of jump, uh, a lot of new faces again, but the guys have been have instilled a couple new system play things for our team, uh, and our guys have done well, and it's been a good couple weeks, a fun couple weeks. So new faces, it's just the, the what happens in university hockey. Players come and go, you lose a few, they graduate, you got to scout. So who are some of the guys that you brought in? Who are some of the guys you lost? Uh, Blake Gustafson, Mason Ward at the back end, um, Alex Sacker, Noah Boyko up front. Um, we also have a few tryout guys as well and a few different other players coming in, but we lost our captain, Matt Fontaine, went to Switzerland, signed a great deal there. Uh, Dawson Davidson, Nolan Vulcan. So our leadership group has moved on, so we're working on that this season, uh, getting a new group of leaders put together. Uh, we've got a good core of guys coming back with Prokop and Prez, Prezuzo and, and uh, Plouffe and McLeod and Florchuk. So we've got a good group of guys coming back as well to pick from here, and we'll see who takes, a, takes that leadership role during camp. How is that transition done or how do you kind of foster that to kind of make that transition from leadership group to leadership group at the university level? Well, it used to be most of the guys used to stay for five, uh, four years, but now guys are taking spring and summer classes, so they're finishing their degrees in three years uh, and jumping to the pro ranks either in North America or Europe. So it's making it a little bit more challenging because you had four or five years to keep grooming guys and the young players coming in to learn the expectations from our older players. Um, but our guys have handled the transition well, and it's just a little faster <laughs> now three years instead of the five-year process. But our guys that have stepped up in that leadership role have all been leaders on their Western Hockey League or their junior teams or their midget teams um, and always been leaders along the way and, and been good core guys. That's the one great thing about our program. We attract quality people, either players or staff or you know trainers. You look at all the people that have gone on and done great things, either in hockey or in the in the in the community ian herbers is our guest on the kevin carey show on sports 1440 when you coached with the oilers as an assistant and 
you broke away from the university level, then came back. Was there much difference from the time that you were there to where you are now? Um, not too much. The other teams, I think, have increased their skill level and how they're playing, so we got better challenges in our league. Um, earlier on, it, we had very strong teams, obviously, but now other teams have stepped up their program. UBC has gone stronger. Calgary's starting to figure things out. Uh, Saskatchewan's always tough. Mount Royal has had a good program, uh, so which is good. Calgary won the Canada West title last year, uh, and it's good for the league that somebody else besides us or Saskatchewan yeah, wins it. Exactly. Uh, the more competition, the more challenging it is, the better it forces us to become and try new things and, and stay ahead of the curve instead of chasing the curve. How's the conference shaping up, would you say, yourselves, Calgary, Saskatchewan, there again? And UBC, I'd throw in that category. They've um, strengthened up their forwards again, so they're very deep up front. Um, so-so at the back end and their goaltending isn't uh, the same as it used to be where they used to be able to steal, steal them games um, so every team and they always come gunning for us anyway so it doesn't matter which program it is they all want to knock off the Bears especially at Claire Drake Arena they do and it's not a better place to watch hockey than Claire Drake Arena I get to go I, I'll, I'd rather go there I hate to say it I, well not hate to say it I'm proud to say it I go there if there's an Oilers game on a Saturday night and a Bears game at Claire Drake I go to Claire Drake Arena so uh, I know there's always talk about a new building but I'm torn between that mm-hmm. because just the atmosphere at Claire Drake and all the banners and the square corners and a little bit smaller and usually we're a fast and aggressive team and uh, you know you get back into a normal size rink and Maybe it doesn't have the same atmosphere. I know teams hate coming into our building, so we want to try and keep it that way. Yeah, it is. And the mystique and everything, you, you know, I mean, I sit up in the corner there and, and Billy Moores is there and all the older guys and, you know, the alumni. And um, there is a mystique about it. How, how would you describe that? Uh, just, I think just the history and tradition, as I went or said earlier about the guys that have come through this program, coaches or players or equipment managers or medical trainers, uh, just the quality people that have come in and worked very hard, uh, excelled academically, excelled, excelled athletically, uh, were part of the community, uh, and took pride in the program and, and came and did their best every night. Um, put the work behind it. You look at Coach Drake, a guy always trying to change the game, staying ahead of the curve, uh, always trying to get better. Not, you know, he could have been easily happy with status quo. And I am fortunate enough to have Billy Morris as well, who still comes to a bunch of our yeah. practices. So I get to pick his brain every week, and he gives a little bit of feedback. And as you said, he's at game, so I get a chance to talk to him again. Um, so just having that tradition, that history, and the great people that have gone through this program, um, still using them as support and keep trying to build. What is that like, uh, as we guessed with the uh, head coach of the Alberta Golden Bears, Ian Herbers, on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440? What's that like to have a Billy Moore's like, just untapped hockey knowledge at your disposal? Oh, fantastic. Just having him watch and practice, especially this last couple of weeks when I was implementing a couple new systems. I was able to call him up or we'll go for coffee or breakfast after practice because we skate at 7.30 in the morning. Um, and we'll have a chance to talk, and he'll give me his input. He's not a guy that's in the coach's office, you know, every day and talking about it every day, so he has those outside view, the outside eyes on everything, uh, which is good to get that perspective. Somebody's maybe seeing it a little bit differently um, and it's not hearing about the daily discussions on everything, so it's good to have that asset and a huge benefit for me and the program. 
Coach Herber's joining us uh, from the University of Alberta Golden Bears. Coach is Brandon Douglas, producer of the Kevin Carey Show. Uh, as somebody that actually was attending the U of A during those back-to-back championship seasons and uh, from 13 to, to 17, so much success with the program. A lot of guys going on to, to play pro not only in Europe but right here in North America. Do you keep in touch with any of those guys going back um, uh, to, the, to your championship times that have moved on and maybe get them to come back and speak to, to some of your current teams to, to foster that winning culture and, and show just what can be, be done by having success at the CIS level? Well, there's a number of our guys that have come back and retired now from hockey that are, are very active in our alumni association. You look at Graham Craig, who's now our president. Um, so a guy that played for me, uh, played a little bit for Surge as well. Um, guys that have won championships, uh, you know, engaged. You got Mitch Topping. You got a number of other guys in there as well, uh, stepping up um, and helping out and being part of that alumni group. So they do get a chance to see him when we have our alumni events, uh, when we have our sweater presentation. Uh, they skate. A lot of guys will be skating Fridays. We have our alumni ice Friday before our game, so they'll get a chance to to see the guys in the hallway. Um, so they'll get a chance to talk to them there too. Um, we're trying to get Billy Moore's every once in a while to sneak down into the dressing room and, and you know give his cent, two cents to the, the players as well. So any chance we can bring people in like that, the quality people that have gone through the program, uh, just so our guys realize. I know when I first came back, I made sure Coach Drake came down to the bench and, and met all the current players because obviously that was a, a he retired a long time before any of those players had showed up. So he got to know a little bit of our team and, and those teams that we were starting to build with Stan and myself. Ian Herbers is our guest. If you got maybe something you want to throw at Herbie, uh, shoot us off a text at one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Bears hockey extremely popular in our city because the program has been so successful. Uh, you brought up Stan Marple name. Um, Fundraising, massive. It has to happen at this level. You guys had a golf tournament. You do so many other things. What does it take to ice this team every year, Ian? Well, it's, it's, it's a huge challenge for Stan. Um, and obviously we help out and alumni help out. And um, But we've got to almost raised two-thirds of our budget to, to make us successful and give everything that we can to the players and, and help them out along their way from scholarships to food to um, equipment uh, helping out with some travel expenses and stuff like that. So any of our non-conference games, that's we're responsible for, for as a team. So um, it's a big part of our program. So we have a casino. We have the golf tournament. Uh, we're always looking for sponsors and donors to the program. We have a sport the sport program, uh, the athletics department. Um, so we're trying to get help. But it's our alumni association has been strong for for so long uh it's been a big help and it set us apart from a lot of the other programs in the country and we got to keep building on that can you touch on that alumni again when you go to the games you see the guys you know the cranstons walking around you see the, all the guys walking around the rink and you know they're proud to be there they want to be there they want to be connected to their team so uh, could you compare this alumni to what maybe other teams in canada west have well, I don't think any other team in Canada West has the same alumni, except for maybe U of S. Uh, they have a strong alumni group as well. I think the one thing that's probably helped Calgary the last couple of years is their alumni association is starting to step up and, and build, uh, which has made them a stronger program, having that support, uh, as you say, in the, in the bleachers and behind the scenes. Um, so that's the key thing right now. Our young guys are stepping up that have played for me and have graduated, gone and played pro, or are now back here in a, in a good career, 
um, helping us out and keeping this program at the top, top of the league. Uh, without their support and help, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. Wouldn't mind talking about your little uh, three-year stint with the Oilers as an assistant coach when you went in uh, the 2016, I guess, somewhere in there for three years. Um, what was that like for you? What did you like? What didn't you like? Just to look back to your time as an assistant coach with the Oilers. Well, not much to not like. Obviously, you're working with the best players in the world, of Connor, Leon, and guys like that. Uh, very good coaching staff. Uh, got along very well with them. Uh, the medical staff, training staff, knew them all. Uh, very good people, quality people. So enjoyed my experience. Uh, the nice thing with it, it's hockey full-time. Uh, 24-7, you don't have to worry about the academic yeah. side and making sure guys, you know, writing final exams or midterm exams on the road or anything like that. So um, you're able just to spend that 24-7 basically every day working on individual skills of the team, uh, making it better and just being involved and engaged, talking hockey constantly all day long. Um, so it's a fantastic group to work with. Obviously, a, a great building. I uh, had one year at the old Rex Hall, and then the two years in the new building, uh, the dressing room, the facilities, uh, and again, the people that have gone through it. Connor McDavid's an 18 year old, Leon Dreisel's a 19 year old. Um, what was it like to kind of nurture and watch those guys at such a young age, very early in their careers? And just Connor and that, especially just his drive and his passion for the game, Leon as well. Uh, but those guys just keep pushing. They're already top players in the league, but not satisfied and keep pushing themselves to keep getting better and finding new ways to get better. Uh, being students of the game, Connor would come in and in the morning after watching somebody else do some stuff. And um, he said, well, if I do this and implement it in my game, work on that. Uh, I could be successful at doing that. So f- always looking at ways to keep improving, even though he was already the best player in the league in the world and stuff. And uh, he still has that same passion and drive. So it- it's great to see. And when you got leaders like that, um, it h- helps bring everybody else along. And Todd McClellan was head coach of that team. Jay Woodcroft was basically his right-hand man. Uh, did you see Jay at that point being Jay where he is today? Oh, yeah, he's gone. He's come from a long way. He's worked very hard. Um, Good, great communicator, well-prepared. Looks at everything to, you know, he's another guy that wants to keep improving. I've done a ton of clinics, has worked in different places, gone over to Europe, ran camps, gone over to different places and ran camps and and get different experiences, which is great for a coach. Um, The more experiences, the more people you can talk to, the more people you're coaching with or coaching, uh, the better it is, the better you become as a coach. And uh, So you could see that, and he needed that head coaching experience, so it was great to see that he had that opportunity in Bakersfield uh, and did very well and, and has moved up the chain. And how tough, like, I mean, he's... He's throwing the top two players in the world out every, you know, second shift. Uh, when, you, when you're thinking and, and analyzing the job that he's doing and going, man, you know, that's quite the luxury to have that. What do you think about the ability to have those two guys where they are at their stage of their career, where they are just dominating, you know, especially in the power play to have that luxury right now? You just said it all. There's not much left to say there. <laughs> having guys like that uh, on your bench in your dressing room uh, and being the leaders that they are, as I said, the, the work ethic and the passion with Connor and, and Leon and, and their older group that's in there, um, just having that that luxury is fantastic. And you know that's been the way with it's been with us with the Bears. We've had some very talented people, mm-hmm. and it's 
uh, you know, all the other teams and other people say, well, you got all the great talent and everything else, but you've got to get them together, working together and uh, playing as a team. And we've been fortunate that way at the, in the Bears program. Uh, run us through again. So what's the weekend look like for you uh, with Calgary and then a little further down the road after that? We're home and home with the Dinos here. We're in Calgary Friday and then home tomorrow. Uh, then we got Mount Royal next weekend uh, at home Friday in Mount Royal Saturday. And then we're going to Cold Lake to play a neutral site game against U of S. Uh, we'll play there Friday, Saturday, and those will be our last exhibition games. Uh, so something a little bit new yeah. for us. Uh, Cold Lake has been fantastic to work with. Uh, they stepped up. They've got a fairly new building there. Uh, been very supportive of both programs, and hopefully we can help out their community hockey as well. How'd that come about? Just we were looking for something different, and we usually play U of S in the preseason. And you know, Dallas Ansel, my head assistant coach, is from that area. Told us there's a, a nice new rink there. Hmm. Um, just contacted them, see if they'd be interested, see if Saskatchewan would be interested. Obviously, um, everybody was, and they've done a. The community stepped up, and it's been a great response there. So excited to go there. Well, we're excited to have you on today, Herbie. Really appreciate your time. Good luck uh, as the exhibition season closes out for you. And then when you uh, kick things off in the uh, Canada West season in BC at the end of the month uh, with a couple of games against the Birds. First first game, October 6th at Claire Drake against Mount Royal, correct? Correct. All right. Thanks, Herbie. Good luck this year. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, take care. That's Ian Herbers, head coach of the Alberta Golden Bears hockey team. Very excited. If you get a chance to go to Claire Drake Arena, go. You have no, uh, it's the best bang for your buck in any hockey game that you're going to watch. You have no idea how exciting it is if you've never been. It's the proximity is close. The sight lines are great. The atmosphere is great. The beer is cheap. You can uh, stand in line for, well, it depends on how busy it is. They have to sometimes open up a few more lines. I like the last few years I would sit behind the glass at times for the second period with Marty Vulcan, uh, a good buddy of mine. His son Nolan was playing on the team the last few years, and the beer lines are right there, just perfect. Uh, big rocks humming along. You get Grant, the big rock rep in there, and... Things are a lot of fun. So uh, good luck to Herbie and the Golden Bears this year. Uh, time now for a sports update brought to you by Michener Allen Auctioneering. Their next public-timed automotive RV auction is now open for bidding. You can get info at maauctions.com. At the top of the hour, we'll have G. Roy Simon from the Elks. But here is the Duke.